Google cuts data center power consumption with machine learning. NVIDIA drops a crazy, reckless new GPU. Plus, a new technique for faster RNN training. And of course, a whole lot more on This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hello and welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI, the podcast where I bring you the week's most interesting and important stories from the worlds of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm Sam Charrington, and today is Friday, July 22nd, 2016. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This week's podcast is sponsored by Cloudera, organizers of the Wrangle Conference, which is coming up in San Francisco next week on July 28th. This is an event in its second year now, and last year's conference got great reviews. So I'm excited to be attending this year's event myself. Now, all of the talks in the agenda look interesting, but a couple of the ones that I'm particularly looking forward to include seeing behaviors as humans do, uncovering hidden patterns in time series data with deep networks. This talk sounds great. Mohammed Safar from Aramo will be talking about using recurrent neural nets for things like anomaly detection, classification, and correlation in time series data. And you may have seen Joel Gruss's blog post where he implements the popular FizzBuzz tech interview challenge question using TensorFlow. Well, Joel has a short lightning talk at this conference where he'll be talking about what he's learned with that project. That one should be really fun and insightful as well. More than anything, though, the event's focus on problem-solving methodology and best practice means that we'll hear plenty of in-the-trenches war stories, and we can expect to leave any of the talks at the conference with solid lessons learned that we can put right into practice in our own work. So go check out the event at wrangleconf.com, and if you decide to register, use the code COMMUNITY for 20% off. We've got a bunch of interesting technology stories this week, so let's start there. Once again, we're starting out talking about work coming out of Google's DeepMind organization in London. Now, while Google's certainly a big player in machine learning and AI, I do try to mix things up here on the podcast. But as someone very interested in cloud, data center, and operations, in addition to ML and AI, this story was a bit like catnip for me. In a blog post on Wednesday, Rich Evans, a research engineer at DeepMind, and Jim Gao, a data center engineer at Google, describe work the company's doing to manage the power consumption of one of their data centers using machine learning, the result of which has been to lower the amount of energy they've used for cooling by as much as 40%. This is a particularly impressive number because it's on top of a number of investments the company's already made in reducing data center power consumption, such as developing extremely efficient servers, highly efficient cooling strategies, and using renewable energy sources. The general idea behind applying machine learning to the problem of data center optimization was explained by Jim in a 2014 white paper on the topic. In his words, machine learning is well suited for the data center environment, given the complexity of plant operations and the abundance of existing monitoring data. The modern large-scale data center has a wide variety of mechanical and electrical equipment, along with their associated set points and control schemes. 
the interactions between these systems and various feedback loops make it difficult to accurately predict data center efficiency using traditional engineering formulas. He goes on, for example, a simple change to the cold aisle temperature set point will produce load variations in the cooling infrastructure, like the chillers, cooling towers, heat exchangers, pumps, etc., which in turn cause nonlinear changes in equipment efficiency. Ambient weather conditions and equipment controls will also impact the resulting data center efficiency. Using standard formulas for predicting modeling often produces large errors because they fail to capture such complex interdependencies. The 2014 paper described a neural network with five hidden layers at 50 nodes each that was trained with features like server load, number of water pumps running, humidity, and wind speed. Actually, they used 19 such features, all normalized and derived from two years of plant sensor data captured at five-minute increments. The output of the neural net, which is their prediction and optimization focus, is primarily PUE, or power usage effectiveness, a measure of data center energy efficiency, though they mention other possible optimization targets such as server utilization or equipment uptime. So Jim and his team at Google have been working on this for a couple of years, and over the past few months, that team's been collaborating with Rich and the team over at DeepMind to improve the results and utility of the system they've developed. Whereas the previous effort was primarily used for alerting and simulation, the new system allows Google to actually control the data center using machine learning. The new system uses ensembles of deep neural networks to predict PUE as well as future data center temperature and pressure. While the blog post didn't talk about the control system at all, according to Jack Clark's Bloomberg article, DeepMind co-founder Demi Hassabis has described this work in presentations, suggesting that it uses a technique like the DeepQ Networks technique they've developed to play Atari games. The system apparently controls 120 data center variables like fans, cooling systems, and windows. In practice, the system has been able to achieve a 40% reduction in the amount of energy used for cooling at the Google test site, which translates into a 15% reduction in overall PUE, producing the lowest PUE the site has ever seen. Ultimately, the blog describes the new system as a general-purpose framework for understanding complex dynamics, and Google expects to apply this to other optimization challenges in the data center and beyond, such as improving power conversion efficiency, reducing semiconductor manufacturing energy and water usage, or increasing manufacturing throughput. The team plans to share more details in an upcoming paper, which I'm looking forward to reading. Elsewhere in Google, the cloud platform team also made news this week with the announcement of the public beta of two new cloud machine learning products, the Cloud Natural Language and Cloud Speech APIs. The Cloud Natural Language API is based on NLP work developed by Google Research, including the recently open-source SyntaxNet and Parsi McParseface, which analyzes the grammatical structure of text with high accuracy, speed, and scale. The new API offers three key features. Sentiment analysis for understanding the overall sentiment of a block of text. Entity recognition 
for identifying the major entities referred to in the text, for example, people, places, and events, and syntax analysis for identifying the parts of speech in a block of text and producing a parse tree for each sentence. The API currently works with English, Spanish, and Japanese input. Google's also posted an interesting blog post that walks through using the new API to analyze text from Harry Potter and the New York Times. The other API, the Cloud Speech API, offers text-to-speech conversion with support for over 80 languages. It's based on the same core speech recognition technology used both in Google Search and Google Now. The beta adds new features that weren't in the alpha, including word hints, which allow custom words or phrases to be added to API calls to improve recognition. App-specific commands and names are two examples where this might be used, as well as asynchronous support, which simplifies development for some applications. The Cloud Natural Language API is free for up to 5,000 uses per month and costs $1 per use thereafter with a 50% discount while in beta, while the Cloud Speech API is free for up to 60 minutes per month and then costs six-tenths of a cent per minute thereafter. So last night at a machine learning meetup at Stanford University, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang unveiled the company's new flagship GPU, the NVIDIA Titan X, and gifted the first device off of the assembly line to famed machine learning researcher Andrew Ng. The new Titan X, which holds the same name as the previous version of the device, is based on the company's new Pascal graphics architecture, which was unveiled back in May. Now, no surprise, but the company is super excited about the card. Its blog post introducing the card threw around a ton of superlatives and adjectives like biggest, ultimate, irresponsible, crazy, and reckless. It also threw around a bunch of numbers, including these. The new GPU delivers 11 trillion floating point operations per second. It's also capable of 44 trillion integer operations per second. It's made up of 12 billion transistors and offers 3,584 CUDA cores running at 1.53 gigahertz. It also includes 12 gigabytes of GDDR5X memory with 480 gigabits per second bandwidth. The other number tossed out there was 1,200, which is the price of the card in U.S. dollars. Now, not everyone is as excited about this card as NVIDIA. Indeed, for gamers, what NVIDIA is offering with the Titan X is a GPU that's about 25% faster than the company's standby offering, the GTX 1080, but at double the cost. But it could be that that's because the company is really targeting deep learning researchers instead of gamers for the Titan X. In fact, CEO Jensen said as much at the product launch. For people working on deep learning, the specs of the Titan X should allow them to increase model training performance by 30 to 60%, which can save a researcher weeks of time and compute costs. The best technical preview I found of the new card, which is due out on August 2nd, is over on Anantech. Of course, I'll be dropping a link to this article and all the other ones I mentioned on the show into the show notes available at twimlai.com. Next, you may recall that Salesforce acquired startup Prediction.io back in February. Well, 
The company just announced that the Prediction.io open source machine learning platform has been donated to the Apache Software Foundation and has been accepted into the ASF's incubator program. This is actually nice to hear, as I thought the Prediction.io acquisition was more of an acquihire and that we really wouldn't see the company continue to invest in that platform. At the same time, though, looking at the project's GitHub commit graph, the activity level really fell off a cliff in about the spring of last year. So the jury's probably still out on the future of this project. We'll continue with business news after the jump. A potentially interesting survey crossed the wires this week. And while I'm bringing it up here, I do so with caveats because the numbers presented seem a bit wonky. The survey, titled Outlook on Artificial Intelligence in the Enterprise 2016, was published by startup Narrative Science, a data storytelling company that uses natural language generation to turn data into narratives. Narrative Science had help from the National Business Research Institute, a survey company that did the data collection for them. The headline of the survey announcement seems to be that 38% of those surveyed are already using AI technologies, while 56% of those that aren't expect to do so by 2018. But if that's the case, then my math says that 73% of respondents' organizations expect to have AI deployed by 2018, but the official report cites this number as 62%. Also, an infographic published by the same group says that only 24% of organizations surveyed are currently using AI, instead of the 38% quoted in the news release. This discrepancy could be due to the fact that a large percentage of organizations represented by the survey had more than one respondent, but it's still very confusing, and I'd certainly expect more from a data storytelling company. That is, unless, of course, that their press release and infographic were totally created by a generative AI, in which case I'm really impressed, but also a bit horrified. Of course, the articles reporting on the survey didn't do anything to clear all this up, with one of them reporting that 74% of organizations are already using AI. In any case, I feel like we do need more data about enterprise adoption of AI, so some credible numbers here would be great. But for now, this ends up being just a cautionary tale about questioning your data. I've tweeted out to the company for clarification, and I'll share whatever I find out. Otherwise, this has been a quiet summer week in terms of financial announcements. Though I did see a note that Seattle-based Sykara secured $2.5 million in seed funding from VCs, including Madrona Ventures, to apply machine intelligence to, quote-unquote, reshape the way physicians interact with medical systems. CEO Harjinder Sandhu was formerly vice president and chief technologist of healthcare R&D for speech recognition software company Nuance Communications. Okay, we'll move on to research after the jump. First up in research, I want to talk about a paper published this week by some folks in Jeffrey Hinton's group at the University of Toronto. You recall I mentioned Hinton last time when discussing some of the seminal papers in deep learning for image recognition. This paper by Jimmy Leba, Jamie Ryan Kiros, and Hinton introduces a new technique for training deep networks called layer normalization. One of the big challenges for folks doing deep learning is the amount of time and compute power 
require to train their models. There are lots of ways we're trying to deal with this issue. We can make faster hardware, like the Titan X I just talked about, or Google's custom TPU chip, which stands for Tensor Processing Unit, which we discussed on the May 20th show. We can distribute the training over more computers, and we've seen efforts to do this, like the work of Jeff Dean and his team at Google Research. Or we can try to tweak the algorithms themselves so that they train faster. Early last year, Google researchers Sergey Yaffe and Christian Segedi published a technique they developed for doing this called batch normalization. The idea with batch normalization is this. With neural networks, the inputs to each layer are affected by the parameters of all the preceding layers. So as the network gets deeper, small changes to these parameters get amplified by later layers. This causes a problem because it means that the inputs to the various layers tend to shift around a lot during training, and the network needs to spend a lot of time learning how to adapt to these shifts as opposed to learning our ultimate goal, which is the relationship between the network's input and the training labels. What Yaffe and Zagadi came up with was a way to normalize the input data while the network is being trained in such a way as to ensure a more consistent statistical distribution of layer inputs. This in turn accelerates the training of the network. They basically did this by normalizing the summed inputs to each hidden neuron in the network on a batch-by-batch basis. The batch normalization approach, in fact, worked really well and has become the state-of-the-art for training convolutional neural nets, but it didn't apply very well to recurrent networks or when the batch size needs to be small, such as in an online learning scenario where you're training in batches of one. With layer normalization, instead of normalizing the inputs to each hidden neuron in batches, we normalize across the inputs on a layer-by-layer basis at each time step. Like batch normalization, this stabilizes the dynamics of the hidden layers in the network and accelerates training, but without the limitation of being tied to a batched implementation. The team at University of Toronto put the layer normalization approach to the test under six different RNN tasks, and they basically found that layer normalization works well for those RNN cases where batch normalization doesn't in terms of converging faster in training, but that batch normalization is still best for training confnets. A Theano-based implementation of the algorithm was published with the paper, and code for a Kiris-based implementation has since been posted to GitHub by Ehud Ben-Ruven. It's pretty cool, actually, how quickly the latest research papers are being implemented on the various deep learning frameworks. One GitHub repo I came across this week that's pretty interesting in this regard is the Leaves Breathe TensorFlow with Latest Papers repository. This repo holds TensorFlow implementations of the latest RNN and NLP-related papers, including the Highway Networks paper, the Recurrent Highway Networks paper, the preprint of which just went up on Archive last week, Multiplicative Integration Without RNNs, Recurrent Dropout Without Memory Loss, and the GRU Mutants paper. Go ahead and check out the show notes for a link to the GitHub repository. Next up, Projects. All right, the first project that I wanted to take a look at is a really neat project that tries to use recurrent neural networks to generate human-sounding vocal utterances. The project's author, who goes by Robbie985, used a three-layer 
long short-term memory, recurrent neural net, and trained it on about 10 minutes of speech samples by a single voice actress in a Japanese anime cartoon. The Torch framework was used to read in this data and trained a neural network to generate sounds like what it learned from the input. The training process took about 30 hours, and it took over 12 hours to generate the audio samples from the network's output. The project's YouTube video plays samples of the output sounds generated by the network as it's being trained, and it's really interesting to see how the network evolves with each training iteration. By the time we get to about 70,000 iterations or so, the RNN is making some interesting human-sounding, if still gibberish, sounds. The RNN did manage to generate a few real words in the process, but again, it's all, for the most part, gibberish. Actually, this video reminded me of a funny YouTube video called Squirrel, How English Sounds to Non-English Speakers. Go ahead and check out both of these videos. This is a pretty neat project, and the Squirrel video is pretty cool too. Next, I'd like to talk about a very interesting application of deep learning written up by Jesse Clark from Stitch Fix over on that company's blog. If you're unfamiliar with the traveling salesman problem, it's a classic mathematical problem in which you have a number of connected nodes on a graph, let's call these locations on a map, and you want to come up with a route for which your traveling salesman can visit all the locations in a way that minimizes the total distance traveled. The traveling salesman problem comes up actually very frequently in lots of fields, but especially operations and logistics, where it can be used to model different aspects of shipping networks, business processes, and warehouses. The TSP is very well studied, and there are many different approaches to obtaining exact and approximate solutions to TSP problems. But Jesse took a somewhat different approach with this project by thinking of the TSP as a video game and applying reinforcement learning, which we've discussed previously, to solve it. To use reinforcement learning to solve the problem of picking items in a warehouse, Jesse defined a game in which each move exacts a small penalty and every item collected results in a reward. Training a reinforcement learning learner to maximize score results in a solution to the traveling salesman problem. Now, because there are existing solutions, this approach is overkill for simple TSP problems, but it becomes very powerful because it allows you to easily model things like obstacles in the environment or multiple salespeople, which might be harder to accommodate in conventional approaches. This one's also a really interesting project and well worth the read. Finally, I want to talk about a couple of very nice resources for beginners that were published this week. If you're still working to gain an intuitive feel for how convolutional neural nets work, and you haven't yet had an opportunity to work through any of the longer courses or books on the topic, take a look at The Beginner's Guide to Understanding CNNs, published by Adit Deshpande, a UCLA CS undergrad. His blog post does a nice job of walking through the basics of CNNs. It's very well explained, and it's a good place to start. Another nice introductory tutorial published this week is Abhishek Thakur's post on approaching almost any machine learning problem. In this post, Abhishek basically summarizes his experiences from his work as a data scientist at Searchmetrics, as well as from competing in over 100 machine learning competitions over at Kaggle. It's really a great post, and if you've ever thought about competing in a Kaggle competition or building your first machine learning project from scratch, 
but you're not quite sure how to construct the data pipeline, choose features, choose algorithms and model parameters, this post will clear all of that up for you, or at least give you a really big head start. I've definitely struggled with all that, especially not knowing what reasonable hyperparameter values might be for different models, and he's got it all there right in his post. Definitely check that one out. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. A couple of quick items before we go. First off, I really want to thank Cloudera once again for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Please make sure to visit wrangleconf.com to learn more about the upcoming Wrangle Conference. Use the code COMMUNITY to register and reach out to me via Twitter at, at Sam Charrington, S-A-M-C-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, if you're planning to attend. Also, don't forget to visit twimlai.com slash newsletter to express interest in the email newsletter. The notes for this show will be up on twimlai.com slash 10. Wow, I cannot believe this is the 10th show. Go to the show notes page to leave any comments you've got on the show, and you'll find links to all of the resources I mentioned right there. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next week.